835, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ, 36 degrees outside. It is Valentine's Day. We're not going to be doing a Facebook Live thing, but I'm wearing my Lee Sherman Dreyfus bright red vest in honor of Valentine's Day. So for those of you who have that special someone out there, be sure to remember them. All right. There are bad ideas in the world of, of marketing. Every once in a while, companies, even good companies, get get it wrong. Um, perhaps the, the biggest example of that is, is New Coke. If you are of a certain age, you will remember when Coca-Cola, which you know, had a very, very successful, I mean, people love regular Coke, and people love Diet Coke, and for some reason, Coca-Cola decided, we want to mess with th- this formula. So what we're going to do is we're going to come out with something we're going to call New Coke, and New Coke is essentially going to be intended to replace the original Coke. And now we're and this, this is going to be a great thing. So they, they roll out New Coke as predominantly a replacement for old Coke, and it's awful. It's just awful. People liked the original Coca-Cola. And so after spending millions of dollars to do this, this rollout, well, okay, it, it didn't work, and they had to retreat. Okay, you know, well-intended idea, but just bad, bad, bad did not work. Let's think of it. Um, a few years ago, NBC decided to save money that they were going to take Jay Leno, The Tonight Show, and they were going to put Jay Leno on at 9 o'clock every night. Well, it's one thing to do a, a talk show in The Tonight Show period of time, but you know, when you put it in prime time, nobody wants to watch it. They want other forms of entertainment. So Jay Leno bombs out, and they end up bringing him back and putting him back at 10.30, and that's when Conan O'Brien, I think, ended up going to TBS. Okay, well-intended idea. But but it just did not work. And you know what? It was foreseeable that New Coke was going to be a disaster. But there was nobody in the room that raised their hand and said, hey, this isn't going to work out. I mean, maybe we should rethink this. It was foreseeable that moving Jay Leno to 9 o'clock on, on weekdays, weeknights, was going to be a disaster. But apparently nobody in the room raised their hand and said, this is going to be bad. Remember when Marquette Basketball, in another one of its nods to political correctness, decided we've got to get rid of the name Marquette Warriors. So they had this big committee that came together, and they decided we're going to change the name to the Marquette Gold. Okay, all right. You know, again, there's nobody in the room saying, you know, this is really a stupid idea. Maybe we need to rethink it. But ultimately, Jay Leno got moved back to 1030. New Coke went into the dustbin of history. The Marquette Gold name was buried. So, I mean, at least they recognized that these were bad. I bring this up because there is another American institution that about a year ago came up with an idea that at the time I said was one of the dumbest things that I could possibly imagine, and I could not understand why they were doing it. But they went ahead and did it. Well, all right, in this case, it's only taken a year. Playboy magazine reversing its decision, and now naked women are back in Playboy magazine. About a year ago, a Playboy implemented a ban on nudity. Now, of course, the thing that made Playboy over all the years wasn't the articles, although many of us have read the articles from time to time. But why do people buy Playboy magazine? Well, they buy Playboy magazine to see the centerfold, all right? That might make men shallow, but, you know, um, what can you say? Might make men shallow, but that's why they are doing it. That's why teenage boys grab Playboy magazine. That's why, you know, middle-aged guys 
That's why old guys, that's why young guys, that's why people pick up Playboy magazine because they want to see the centerfold. It says a lot about us as guys, but it is the reality. So I remember a year ago thinking, okay, Playboy magazine is getting rid of the naked women. Now, I understand, Lord knows, there's all sort. if you want to see that kind of stuff, there's all sorts of places you can go nowadays, including like two or three clicks on the Internet, and, and you're going to see more than you want. But I was thinking, if you do, if Playboy magazine does away with naked women, why why is anybody going to buy um, Playboy magazine? And that's exactly what happened. Sales plummeted. Um, <clears throat> the uh, new chief creative officer uh, is Cooper Hefner. He is uh, the son of Playboy's founder, Hugh Hefner. And less than a year after the ban, um, they have now come out and they've said, you know what, we have thought about this and... We have decided it was a mistake to remove nudes from the magazine. Um, He says, I'll be the first to admit that the way in which the magazine portrayed nudity was dated, but removing it entirely was a mistake. Nudity was never the problem because nudity isn't a problem. Today we're taking back and reclaiming who we are. In other words, (laughs) sales were in the toilet we recognize that Playboy magazine without naked women is like a day without sunshine or something like that. So I guess the lesson is, first of all, if you've made a mistake, acknowledge that you have made a mistake and just kind of go back to doing what you were doing. Fill in the hole, dig out, declare victory, and move on. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two is Playboy magazine, nude pictures back in there. I guess America is indeed great. Again, all right, three big things. We start with the big marches that were orchestrated across the country and in particular in Milwaukee yesterday. What's the real point? Stick around, 841, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 845, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Some are celebrating Valentine's Day today and others, well, commemorating Galentine's Day. Eric and Tracy go through all the traditions, including yours, during WTMJ today at 1235. Okay, three big things. Matter of fact, every day we post this up on the website so you can get a head start on it, although I've actually switched something around because of some breaking developments uh, late last night. In addition, just want to mention, we podcast the program. You can go to WTMJ.com. You can download the podcast. You can sign up to have them notified. And um, the folks who do this tell me that lots of people are doing that. So that is great. Number one. Day Without Latinos. Yesterday, in downtown Milwaukee, there was a huge march um, to the courthouse as part of the Day Without Latinos protest. Now, this was not a spontaneous thing. This was organized. You had a lot of the usual suspects who bust in people from out of the city. I mean, this was an effort to try to you know, get on TV and to um, try to make whatever point that they were making. The idea was we're going to um, try to promote whatever issues that we have, and we want to have a big turnout, so we're going to be shipping people in um, from Appleton and Green Bay and Madison and Manitowoc and Racine and Wisconsin Dells, so we're, we're going to come together to try to get decent attendance at this and to try to get attention. And so, and of course, it got attention. It was lead story and lots of newscasts and things like that. I've been thinking, though, about what the real point of this is, uh, the, the day without Latinos. Now, ostensibly, it is we don't want customs to enforce our immigration laws. We don't want to build a board. We don't want to build a wall at the border. We don't want the customs people coming into our community 
and taking people who are in this country illegally and sending them back to where they came from. I mean, at the heart of it, that that's that's what this is. So if, number one, you, you don't want vigorous enforcement of the border, and number two, you do not want law enforcement to send people who are here illegally back, what are you really advocating for? And at the end of the day, if you break this all down, I think the, these quote-unquote protest groups, what they are really calling for, and they won't come out and say it, but what they're really calling for are, are open borders. The, the idea that we should allow in this country people to come in without fear. If, if they think that there's a better life in the United States, you should be able to come here. And you should be able to stay here without fear. Once you get here, you should be able to stay here without fear that you are going to be sent back. I mean, I think at the end of the day, when you break that down, that is what people, that is what these protesters are, are really all about. You know, let let us let us be the melting pot. Let us open the borders. Let's not worry about immigration. If people want to come in from across the Mexican border, let them do it. Why should we care? Right? I want to open the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Now, the reality is that I, I don't know that there's any other country outside of the third world that just that does have open borders, that just allows people from one country to come in and establish residency in another country. Now, I understand with the European Union, they, they make it easier to go back and forth. But, but if I am right... And that this is one of the implied goals of movements and the protests. Don't send people back who are here illegally and don't crack down on stopping people from coming into this country. Is that, in fact, a good idea? Should we just open the borders and say, come on in? That's what this country was founded on. All right, America, just open arms. We're no longer going to stop people from coming into this country. We will make not just San Francisco or Madison, a sanctuary city, we will make America a sanctuary country. Would that be a good idea? 414-799-1620, That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Now, I would think even the people promoting this would agree that there might need to be at least some vetting to make sure that you don't have terrorists coming in, but I'm not even positive about that. It, should we just open the borders? And it is a serious question because I think that is what is the implication of a lot of these protests that are going on. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. What would it be, and would it be a good idea, if we just said, okay, come on in, set up residence, you're not going to be citizens, but we're going to let you live here. Good idea, bad idea. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. It's 850, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 852, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number one, huge protests yesterday in Milwaukee, Day Without Latinos. Organizers bus in people from all over the state to try to get on TV. But I'm looking at what their demands are. Okay, essentially it's, if you're in this country illegally, we don't want, we don't want immigration officials to send you back. And we don't want cities to cooperate. Also, don't, no, don't build a wall. No aggressive border enforcement. Well, what does that mean? It essentially means they are calling for open borders. Forget about this. If you want to come into this country and you want to stay in this country, just do so. Is that really 
a good idea. Terry in West Bend. Terry, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Terry. Um, I think that opening the borders and letting them over, if they want that, that's fine. But take away all the benefits. Let them earn their right to have a better life, just like the rest of us. And don't get me wrong, I'm half Mexican. My grandparents came from Mexico, and they had to be legal. Mm-hmm. They fought to be legal, to be an American. Now, these people have been over here for how long? Getting the free benefits and the food stamps and everything else, I don't get that. I have to work hard for my money, mm-hmm. pull the benefits, and let them see how hard it is to get better life over here. And you think the effect of that would be maybe people, if there weren't so many giveaways, people wouldn't be coming across the borders into the country? Definitely, because I also know a lot of Mexicans, and that's all they're here for, the free stuff, the free medical, the, the school help when they go to school. And it, it, it's a given. They're going to be given something free. We, we Americans are not given anything. We have to earn it. And I think that's their right to have to earn it just alongside the rest of us. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, and I, I, pre, I mean, again, it's tough. It's tough to generalize. I mean, certainly not everybody that comes into this country is, is looking for just a free handout and things like that. But you you are right to the extent you say, and once you get into this country, you're eligible then for all these different, you're eligible to send the kids to schools. You're eligible for all these social services and things like that. That That is why, again, I don't know that there's, that there's any, that, that there's any major country in the world that allows, again, people just to, to come in and to take up residence. And I understand you've got the European Union, like I say, which is a little bit difficult, different. But, but do we, are we really at a point where we, we want to completely give up any controls over the borders and simply say, once you get into this country, you can stay regardless? Let's talk to, um, let's see, Todd in Greenfield. Todd, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Well, thank you for taking my call. I sure. appreciate it. Uh, the lady just before me, um, I just want to second her motion. on. It's part of the reason why the middle class is going away. We have to pay so much tax dollars, and part of it is to put the bill for illegal aliens being able to go on our health care coverage. How can they get health care coverage without showing citizenship? Mm-hmm. That's well, what they need to start doing. So you would, if, if we are, if we're not going to be aggressive about enforcing immigration laws, you're saying, okay, if you're not in this country legally, you should not be able to qualify for, for food stamps. You shouldn't be able to qualify for various benefits that are out there for people who are in the country legally. Definitely. It's ridiculous that they can even get health care coverage without proving that they're a citizen. Mm-hmm. Being in this free country and having the privilege of being here, yeah. no other country lets people come in, like you said, to be able to do that and feed off the system, yeah, and and to stay. I mean, that, that I mean, thanks. I mean, again, it's it, it, this is one of the things that does boggle my mind because if you and I've used this example before, let's say you travel legally to a country in Europe, and you're there on a visa, you overstay that visa, and chances are, within a couple days, you're going to have somebody knocking on your door saying you have overstayed your visa. In this country, you come in even on a visa. You disappear. We don't track for. We don't do a very good job of tracking people who have come into the country legally, much less illegally. Let's talk to Matt in Elm Grove. Matt, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. How you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, the way I see this is the people that protest these uh, these positions that right. there should be open borders. Right. I think of it more as an issue of your own home, your country, your own home. And when we walk down this path. How many of us 
keep our doors open and throw out a sign saying, welcome, take our food, right. take our refrigerator, take whatever you want. You come in and no sleep problem, in the living no room. Absolutely. Use my yeah. bathroom. Sleep in the living room. Yeah. <laughs> and you never find that being the case. And I've talked this with a few of my friends, uh, some who've advocated the thing of open borders. We should be welcoming. We should be doing all these things, which I agree. We should be, but it should be according to rules and regulations. Right. You know, and like the other callers, you know, we, I've been in this country. Our families uh, come to this country in 1907. So, you know, well, well, it also has movies, to, it, it, so. it has to be controlled. So right. it be so you understand. Okay, we we have X amount of social services money set aside or whatever. You, you can't just suddenly have this influx of millions of people that are going to be putting demands on whether it's the school systems or the social service systems or whatever. You have to have some controls, or like you say, that the middle class just absolutely crumbles if all of a sudden your social service spending goes up. No, I'm with you. I think that's, you know, that's the reality. Debbie in Oconomowoc. Debbie, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. I just wanted to agree with all your previous callers. Um, this is something my husband and I discuss often. It's not that we as U.S. citizens don't have empathy and don't welcome others into our country, it's just not fair to those of us that are working so hard to take care of our own and take care of our family. And then for for the illegals to come in and not be working the same as the rest of us and to have us as taxpayers have to put the bill for them. Um, I work in the healthcare arena and I know for a fact that Aurora is taking care of um, some of the refugees and who is paying for that? Well, you're right. Ultimately, it gets passed on. And, and see, right, we are a compassionate, we are a broad country, and, you know, we appreciate, I think, the needs of people. But at the same time, you have to have some limits on this. You know, a country cannot survive if you suddenly say, okay, everybody just kind of pour into the country, forget about borders, forget about immigration, and then, you know, take advantage of all the things the country has to offer. Now, thanks, Nicole. I, and that, this is the point. When, when you hear about these protests, the, the day without Latinos. I mean, and, and I just I haven't seen this analysis. What are they really saying? Okay, don't don't be aggressive in stopping people from coming into the country. Once people are in this country, um, even if they've come in illegally, don't send them back. Well, what does that mean? That essentially says no immigration policy. It's nine oh eight. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. We're right in the middle of our three big things. Big thing number two. This is a lesson that politicians continue to fail to learn and that is that the cover-up is always worse than the crime if there is a crime and this is a breaking news story overnight um michael flynn who was tabbed by president trump to be the national security advisor has abruptly resigned uh flynn now look let's be honest the long knives are out for president trump and for everybody in his administration and everybody associated with President Trump, you know, you, you have you have to understand you've got the Democrats that are out to get him. You've got the mainstream media that are out to get him. Everybody is there. So you have to be you have to be very circumspect. Well, here's what happens with with Michael Flynn. After Trump is elected, after he wins the election, but before he is sworn in, you will recall that Barack Obama decided to come out and issue a series of sanctions against Russia in the waning days of the Obama administration in an effort to, quote-unquote, punish Russia 
for meddling in the U.S. election. We're going to expel diplomats. We're going to do all these things. Uh, a lot of people thought that Russia was going to retaliate. Russia did not retaliate. They didn't send back U.S. diplomats. They just let it go. And a number of people were wondering, well, why was this? Well, obviously, I think Vladimir Putin figures that he's going to have a different and a better relationship with Donald Trump. And for the life of me, while I do think that Russia poses a huge danger to world peace, I I don't understand why in the world people do not want to see the United States develop a quote-unquote better relationship with Russia. Isn't that the goal? Now, do I think you can necessarily trust Russia? Well, that's a different story. But anyhow, Obama, in one of his last few acts as president, imposes these different sanctions. Now, I think Obama was wrong to do that because, again, he's the ultimate of a lame duck president. He's leaving. Why bother doing it? But Russia does not respond. And I think part of it was because Russia recognized that Donald Trump when he became president, was going to have a different relationship than Barack Obama had when he was president. Well, anyhow, into this mix comes Michael Flynn. Now, Michael Flynn, very, very close to President-elect Trump, and certainly on the short list of somebody who was going to have a key role in the Trump administration. Apparently, Flynn meets with the Russian ambassador and has has conversations with him. Now, at this point in time, Michael Flynn is is a private citizen. He's not an agent of the government. But they they sit down and and they talk. Um, The Russian ambassador's conversations are monitored by the FBI. And apparently there's a phone call between Flynn and the Russian ambassador. And from that call and subsequent other intercepts, The FBI then writes a report summarizing Flynn's discussions with the ambassador. And they describe the comments to be highly significant and, quote-unquote, potentially illegal. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So there's a meet, and again, there's these contacts between Michael Flynn, at the time private citizen, and the Russian ambassador. So then the media gets these stories, and they start asking questions. Okay, what, what was talked about? And in particular, you know, did you discuss lifting the sanctions or what the official policy of Trump was going to be once he became president? And Michael Flynn says, no, we we didn't talk about the sanctions. We didn't talk about anything like that. And that's apparently what he tells Mike Pence, the vice president, to be. And that's what he tells other people. Well, it turns out that that does not appear to be the case. Um, late last week, when the Washington Post starts sniffing around on this, and, and they ask again, they say, all right, based on like these FBI intercepts, are did you really not talk about the, the sanctions? At which point in time, Flynn comes out with a statement saying, he doesn't believe so, but he, he can't remember for sure. Now, to me, that sends off all sorts of red flags. I mean, you could ask me what I did you know, four years ago, uh, did I have this conversation with so-and-so four years ago and you discussed that? And I might say, well, I, I don't think I did, but I can't remember for sure. Well, if you ask me about a conversation I had with a Russian ambassador like a month ago, I right, I'm going to remember whether or not I talked about something which was probably the most significant issue going on, which was sanctions. So Flynn appears to be backtracking, and again, it appears that his statements to the vice president, at least, and then the vice president goes out and says, no, we have no concerns because the vice president was involved in, in vetting 
potential nominees for different positions and things like that. You know, the vice president comes out and says, um, no, he, he said that he didn't do this. Well, it appears that he might have discussed sanctions. Now, let me break this down. If if Michael Flynn had actually discussed, in theory, what the policy of the U.S. might be moving forward, I don't think there would have been a problem with that. Now, I understand that there's this, there's this thing called the Logan Act, which um, makes it a violation of the law for U.S. citizens to interfere in domestic disputes with another country. So, I mean, you've, you've got some of the crazies that are out there saying, well, this could be a violation of the Logan Act. Well, I, I, I don't know that there's ever been a successful prosecution of anybody for violating the Logan Act. And I, I certainly think that if you had the soon-to-be national security advisor at the time where the, the presidency is essentially in transition – and the guy is going to be in that position a few weeks ago, having preliminary negotiations with a representative from Russia. I think it would be difficult, if not impossible, to mount a successful prosecution under the Logan Act. Now, again, if you see stories about this, there'll be people saying, oh, it might have been illegal. I just don't believe that you could have ever successfully had the prosecution. But regardless, what did him in, I don't believe, was the fact that he had the conversation. What did him in was the fact that he apparently denied having the conversation to people in the Trump administration, who then, particularly Vice President Pence, who then went out and started talking about it. That's what did him in. And it's not, I don't believe it's the act. If he would have come out and said, yes, we had some preliminary discussions, we didn't make any commitments, but we had some preliminary discussions about what we thought was going to happen in the future once President Trump was inaugurated, I think that would have probably been fine. I understand some people might have been screaming and trying to say it's a violation of the Logan Act. Good luck with that prosecution. But but that's not what he said. He denied having the conversations. And it is that denial. It is the cover-up, which essentially ends up, I mean, costing him his credibility and and bringing him down. So um, I, I think Michael Flynn had a lot to offer as the National Security Advisor. But the reality is his position had become untenable. Not because of what he did. Again, I think he could have come out and said, yeah, we, I, was, I was an emissary for President Trump, uh, President-elect Trump, and we had these preliminary conversations about what we thought the policy might be three or four weeks from now. Um, yeah, we, we were discussing these type of things. I wasn't representing the U.S. government, but I'm a private citizen. But, I mean, we were talking about different potentialities, things like that. That's... I think that would have been okay. Again, some people would have said otherwise, but I, I think that would have been okay. But once you lie about it, once you lie about it, you make you make your position untenable. And so once again, it's the cover-up. It's not, in my opinion, the act in the first place. Big story number two, Michael Flynn abruptly resigning as National Security Advisor. And frankly, I think that was really the only choice that was out there, given the fact that apparently did have conversations that he said he did not have. Next. Big thing number three, he's 14 years old. He just killed a man. Really. It's 917 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 919 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Canton is preparing for the 2017 Pro Football Hall of Fame class, recently announced. But again, two admissions from the class remain an electrifying receiver and a former Packer. Do they belong? Greg Matzik thinks so, and he opens a discussion on Sports Central. That is tonight at 7.15. I was at the uh, Brett Favre thing in Canton last summer. Quite, quite, the, uh, quite the experience. It was a lot of fun. All right, big thing number three. 
The hits just keep on coming. 14-year-old attempted robbery before West Dallas killing. Here's the way it's reported. 14-year-old suspect in a double shooting in West Dallas that left a 19-year-old man dead was attempting to rob the victims with a 13-year-old accomplice. Um, 19-year-old man shot and killed, 17-year-old man wounded. The shooting was reported at 10 a.m. Sunday. So, okay, let's back up. Sunday morning, 10 a.m., broad daylight, at a home in the 2100 block of South 89th Street, where the 19-year-old was found dead. Um, uh, The two were brothers, WITI had reported. The wounded teen remained hospitalized Monday with serious injuries. Police believe the victims and the suspects knew each other, according to the release. Police reported Sunday that the 14-year-old was arrested at his home in West Dallas. Apparently, I think there was a bit of a standoff um, that occurred before the, the teen ultimately um, surrendered. Police said Monday the victims were shot during an attempted robbery by the 14-year-old suspect and the 13-year-old accomplice. It does not appear to be a random act. Police said the 13-year-old was also arrested Sunday for his role in the incident. He's suspected of being involved in the attempted robbery, but is not the one that fired the gunshots. Uh, the young man who was killed was apparently a basketball player and things like that. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. It now appears that you have a 14-year-old who shot and killed a 19-year-old and shot and seriously wounded a 17-year-old during an armed robbery that he and his 13-year-old, what brother, were in the process of of perpetrating. 414-799-1620, That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. I am willing to bet that this is not the 14-year-old's first time at the rodeo. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you just wake up one day and you decide, hey, today's the day I'm going to go grab a gun and I'm going to get my 13-year-old, I'm going to get my brother, and we're going to go and we're going to hold up um, people at gunpoint and be willing to shoot and kill somebody. And may- maybe that is just what ended up happening. But if you ever want to understand and see a picture of, of a system that is just dramatically, dramatically wrong, it is a story like this. 14-year-olds shooting 19-year-olds in the course of armed robbery at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Is this the new normal? Is there anything that can be done to stop this? Or have we simply lost a generation of urban of people in, in urban America when you have 14-year-olds that decide that this is, this is acceptable? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Is there any solution to this, or is this just the new normal that we deal with? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 923, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is big story number three. The murderer appears to be a 14-year-old, shoots and kills a guy during an armed robbery, 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. 924, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
26, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Bucks head to Brooklyn tomorrow to take on the Nets in the final game before the All-Star break. We've got the broadcast live from the Barclays Center. Our coverage starts with Buckshots at 610 tomorrow evening. Eddie and Racine. Eddie, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. 14-year-old kid shoots and you know, shoots and kills a guy during a robbery at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. I mean, what do you say? Um, Like I saw on the screener, I believe the children have teenage daughters, teenage children. They're introduced to everything earlier. I think it's the norm because they're introduced to politics more often in school, drugs. Everything's becoming more normalized for them. So I think this is the norm. It's going to be very hard to prosecute their way out of this, like to be stricter on things with them because in society, I think it's lean that way. But, but okay, see, it's one thing to say, all right, people are, are desensitized, say, to sex because, you know, you, you see it everywhere. You see it in the magazines. You see it on TV, all those type of things. But, but that... So, I mean, I get that to an extent, but we're talking about murder. I mean, we're, we're talking about somebody who, at the age of 14, picks up a gun and goes and sticks somebody up and is willing to pull the trigger and kill them. I mean, that's, you know, that's not video games. That's like real life. Yeah, it's, it's totally wrong. And this child should be tried as an adult, right. I believe. I, I just think that it's the way that, that we're going to society. And I think it's all wrong. I think that, you know, sure. family and and God and different things play a factor in this, but I, I think that it is kind of the norm, as bad as it is. No, no, and you could be honest. I mean, look, I, I, I think sometimes it's almost a cliche to kind of throw up your hands and say, you know, where were the parents? But there, there are there, there are occasions where that, I think, is a fair commentary. I mean, this is, this is 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. You've got a 14-year-old that has access to a firearm and is out, committing, at least allegedly committing, armed robberies. Now, again, I, I understand I grew up in a different time, and candidly, of all the different things that I might have been doing on a Sunday morning, it, it, it wouldn't have been, it would never have occurred to me to go grab a gun and go try to stick somebody up, and then if the person resists or whatever happened, you know, pull the trigger and, and kill them. But at the same time, even if it had occurred to me to do that, um, I, I had a mother and a father who were sort of invested in, in my life, and had raised me in a fashion that I recognized that that was not acceptable behavior. Now, like I say, we don't know what the kid's record is. My guess is, once all the details come out about it, we will find out that this was not the first time that this young man has been to the violence and criminal activity rodeo. Maybe maybe Sunday morning, like I say, he woke up for the first time and said, I'm going to get a gun, I'm going to go stick somebody up. Maybe that happened. But in all likelihood, it didn't. In all likelihood, this is somebody who's been through the system before and had been put on probation or double secret probation or whatever, and you have the escalating type of things. But for everybody who thinks that we're we're now in a situation where we can't be harsh, we can't have consequences, this is the object lesson to that because it is un. I understand. At one point in time, it would be unthinkable that you would have 13 and 14-year-olds that were carjacking people at gunpoint or holding people up at gunpoint and being willing to pull the trigger. That would be unthinkable. Unfortunately, it is becoming more and more the new norm. And I'm going to leave it to people who are a lot smarter than me to try to figure out all the social um, causes and solutions to that. I know that once you get to the point that you are committing these serious crimes, there need to be consequences. 
and there need to be consequences before it is too late. Because the reality is, at this point in time, I guess that 14-year-old, if he is prosecuted and if he's convicted in adult court, he will now spend most of his life in prison. You wonder if there was something that could have happened earlier on to make him maybe rethink that decision that he made on Sunday morning. It's 934, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I have um, the route I take to work every morning takes me or most every morning takes me through Estabrook Park. And there, there's a street that's on the corner of Whitefish Bay that, that borders Whitefish Bay and Glendale. It, it's a north-south street called Lydell. And there's a stoplight, and you have to cross Hampton, which is a relatively busy street. And it's also just a couple blocks off the freeway. So there's a lot of people who will drive on Hampton in the morning. They will be heading to the freeway. They are in a hurry to get to work. I am crossing that street. I have said this before. If police in, whether it's Whitefish Bay or Milwaukee or Glendale, want to, if there are quotas out there and they want to pull people over, all you have to do is put a police car by that corner every morning because I I don't want to exaggerate. I don't want to say every day of my life, but many days of my life. I watch people blowing through the red light heading on Hampton Avenue. They just... It, it must be like they see the thing turn orange halfway up the block, and then they must think that, okay, that yellow light means let's go like whatever. And, and it really is. If you cross that on a regular basis, you learn quickly that when the light turns green, allowing you to cross that street, you better not go right away. You better sit there and say one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, because if you go when you it's your turn, chances are you are going to get hit because people are routinely – Running the light. And, I, and I'm and i sure you have other stories. Uh, this is not unusual. I was talking to um, my friend Jane Matinere just a little bit ago, and she was saying, yeah, I, I, I just I take my life in my hands when I drive into work because there's people who are routinely running red lights. One of the ways that cities have tried to stop this practice is they have put up what I will call red light cameras. And these are also referred to as speed cameras. And what they do, essentially, you put them up at an intersection, and they will, if you, for example, if you're driving over a certain rate of, rate of speed, what they will do is they will take a picture of your license plate, and you will get a ticket in the mail. And um, there's a town in Ohio, for example, where the speed limits are 35. That They set the cameras at 50 miles an hour. And if you're driving 50 in the 35-mile-an-hour zone, you pass one of the cameras, you, you, you will automatically get a ticket. They will take a picture of your license plate, and then the ticket will be sent to, uh, again, whoever the car is registered to. Same thing with the red light cameras. If you blow a red light and the camera records it, you will automatically get a, a ticket. Now, um, this has become controversial. Well, first of all, it, it's a huge money raiser. There's no question about it. It's a huge money raiser because the vast majority of people who get these tickets, and again, they're not issued by a police officer. There's not a police officer that's there running radar. There's not a police officer that's there that says, I witnessed this person go through the red light. All you have is the ticket automatically issued because of the camera. Now, these generate, like I say, a ton of money. There's one little community. I'm looking at the story in Ohio, a village in Ohio, population of about 2,200 
that collected over $3 million in revenue from speeding motorists after it installed standalone speed cameras along one of its major thoroughfares. So it's a huge moneymaker for municipalities because most people pay for this. A lot of people, though, are when you get the ticket, you just, you just pay it. You decide, I'm, I'm not going to fight it, um, so I'm just going to pay. Now, there's a lot of, quote-unquote, civil liberties people out there that are saying, this isn't right. You, know, you, you should have a right to due process. And the mere fact that a camera says that your car was speeding or the mere fact that a camera you know, shows your car going through a red light that's not sufficient. There needs that there should be an officer, there should be somebody, a person that's actually there that sees it, that can testify against you, that can call in witnesses, all those type of things. And as a matter of fact, um, Ohio, the Ohio Supreme Court ha- has ruled that these these cameras, these speed cameras, these red light cameras are in fact um, unconstitutional at this point in time. And this one community that's collected $3 million from speeders, they've been ordered to pay it back. They've been ordered to refund all the tickets. 414-799-1620, That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. All right, speed cameras, red light cameras, should municipalities put these in? Or is it unfair to drivers? The reality is you do not have enough police officers to sit at intersections and watch people blow through red lights. You do not have enough police officers to stake out various areas to catch people who are speeding does it bother you and should municipalities instead be able to put up the cameras that take pictures of you people going through the red lights or take pictures and automatically record when you're going say 15 or 20 miles an hour over the speed limit on a road if you're driving 52 in a 35 mile an hour zone do you deserve to get a ticket from a camera 414-799-1620 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Do you support the use of red light and speed cameras? We discuss next. It's 940. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 944. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. More and more communities across the country are turning to red light cameras where if you blow through a red light and you're captured on camera, you're going to get a ticket. Or speed cameras. Say it's a 35-mile-an-hour zone. If you're passing, if you're driving over 50 miles an hour, you pass the point, takes a picture of your license plate, you get a ticket. Now, in Ohio, they say it's unconstitutional. It's a violation of due process because there's not a person there that sees you. 414-799-1620, would you support a wider rollout of these things in order to, well, make make the roads safer? Let's start with Emmett in Burlington. Emmett, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, I'm a semi-truck driver, and I go to Illinois a lot. And a lot of the, 90% of those cameras on Illinois don't have timers on them. If you put timers on them, I, I'm all for it. But if you don't put the timers on them, let you know when the light's going to change, um, that, that's, that's like an accident waiting to happen. Because a lot of the, a lot of times, you you know, the light is about to change. They don't know, and they'll just slow down and stop in the middle of the intersection to wait for the light to turn red. They don't want to take it. Right. Well, you know, and what got what got Illinois in trouble um, is there's a lot of communities that they futzed around with the yellow lights 
They, they made uh-huh. the yellow lights like a, a, a second and a half shorter. <laughs> so you had oh, all sorts, okay. you know, so you had all sorts of people, you know, you, you think you've got X amount of time to get through a yellow light. They made it shorter. So then you had all these people that were, you know, they thought they were going to have yellow, but instead they end up going through a red light. Um, yeah, yeah, but I think if they, I think if they put, if they put timers on, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Right. Well, no, I think, th- see, and I, look, and I, I, I understand that, like I say, the way some communities have done this, has been clearly a, a revenue grab. And like I say, there's a lot of communities in Illinois, what they did was they, they shortened the period of yellow light. I think I should have this in front of me. Normally, like the yellow lights are supposed to be like four or five seconds. They cut it down like a second and a half. So you had people that thought, hey, I've got the chance to get through this under normal time, but it switched sooner. Boom, I'm caught. I'm going to have to pay back the fine. Now, that's, that's, that is, a, of course, I think an issue. As in concept, though, whether we do what Emmett was talking about with the timers or whatever, I guess I don't have a problem with it. Uh, Bill says, I think it's a fine idea. If you're not speeding or running a red light, you should not have a problem with it. If you do have a problem with it, then you must be admitting that you speed and run red lights all the time. I will tell you, I'm, I am less, I am less inclined to push these speed cameras than I am the red light cameras. But maybe, and maybe your experience is completely different from mine, but I just, I firmly believe that a lot of times you end up taking your life in your hands nowadays as you are driving around as people decide that they're just going to blow through these lights to the point, like I say, I mean, my general habit is now that light turns green. I, I still, I look both ways because I don't know when somebody is going to be careening through the intersection at a high rate of speed. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. Bob in Menominee Falls. Bob, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning to you, Jeff. Jeff, I concur uh, with uh, with the idea that I would be less likely uh, for the speed uh, cameras and more inclined uh, for the red light violations. Those are horrific right-angle crashes when they occur and, and often result in death and injuries. Now, all that said, in... These venues, these jurisdictions, they have they have uh, uh, hearing officers that view the videotape right. and and arrive at a determination, yay or nay. And if you don't agree with that hearing officer, I, well, I shouldn't say all venues, but right. uh, I, I'll cite the city of Coral Gables in Florida. Uh, if, if you don't concur with the with the opinion of that hearing examiner who views the tape, then you can ratchet it up and go to court, just like in any other instance. Yeah, I think the basis of the decision in Ohio, though, was that, and, and again, I agree or disagree, I think the Supreme Court was saying it's a violation of due process rights if there's not somebody actually on the scene. I candidly, I, I don't, again, I don't have an, an issue with that. Now, I, I mean, I understand you go through the red light, uh, let's take the red light example. You go through the red light, it captures your license plate, sometimes it'll catch who's driving, sometimes it won't, but at the same time, that ties into your point. If you weren't driving the car or whatever and you want to fight it, you do have a right to go and fight it if you feel that that's the appropriate thing. You're correct. I, I had a, a gentleman that was working for me. He got a red light ticket in uh, Mesa, Arizona. And, and further to what you just said, they did take a picture of him 
and it was a really nice picture of Mike. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. So there, there was there was no doubt in that particular case he was the one behind the wheel. And, and see, to me, that satisfies the due process type of stuff. And and the reality is, look, I understand, Bob, that there's communities who are going to use this as a way of raising revenue. I mean, this this one little community in Ohio, like I say, three million dollars, you know, for for the speed cameras. So I mean, I understand that there's some that are going to use it as a way of raising revenue. But at the same time, especially with the red light cameras, it, it's a safety thing because my God, people are going through red lights. All the time. If, if I mean, and then I think the community should advertise. Hey, we have red light cameras. Run red lights, and you're going to be in a situation where you might get a ticket. No, agreed. Yeah, no, thanks. See, I would. I mean, I would. I would advertise it. I would. I would promote it in different communities. This is the village of Fox Point or or whatever. This is. This, we're in West Milwaukee. We have red light cameras at our intersections. Let people know that that's the dynamic that's out there. So if you decide that you are going to do this. Yes, there there is a chance because again, I think I think this is a huge safety issue that's there, and I appreciate that you're not going to be able. We're not going to have enough police officers to sit at all the intersections where this happens. But just kind of circling back to where we started again, if you're in the North Shore and you're looking for a place to sit to catch people routinely running red lights, I would say, well, every couple minutes. I've got the intersection that I could advise you to go to. It's 9.53. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Less than one month into his administration, is President Trump planning a White House shakeup already? What does the new president have planned? Get the whole story on Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 3.21 today. Yeah, uh, some Trump confidant goes to the Washington Post over the weekend and says that that Reince Priebus, of course, you know, Wisconsin guy, chief of staff, is way in over his head. Um, I, I don't know that I would say that it's Reince Priebus that's way in over his head. I just think you get the idea that, at least in some respects, the, the Trump administration is not ready for prime time. Witness the, the rollout of, for example, the, the temporary immigration hold to demonstrate that. Speaking of that... I always try to explain to people how I approach this show. And if I try to be an equal opportunity commentator, if I would have criticized Jim Doyle for doing something, and Scott Doyle, Scott Walker does the same thing, I will criticize him. If Barack Obama would have been criticized for doing something on this show, and Donald Trump does it, I will criticize him. That's even though, I mean, I, I think. I agree with a lot of the stuff that Trump is doing. It is his the way he's going about it. I have all sorts of issues, but this story, while not the biggest story necessarily of the day, is absolutely mind blowing to me, and again demonstrates maybe you have an administration that is either not ready for prime time or is just incredibly cavalier when when they can't. All right, um, Donald Trump owns this Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida. High-end resort, golf club, people pay a ton of money to belong to this thing. And that's kind of his Florida White House. So he, he goes down there, he hangs out, he plays golf and things like that. No problem with that. Um, but it, it's open to the public. I mean, there are, when I say by open to the public, it's open to the public if you've got enough money to buy a membership and belong. So very, very well-heeled people are hanging out there. But he hangs out there as well. So here's what happens over the weekend. This is the way the New York Times reports it. President Trump and his top aides 
coordinated their response to North Korea's missile test on Saturday night in full view of diners at Mr. Trump's Mar-a-Lago Resort in Florida, a remarkable public display of presidential activity that is almost always conducted in highly secure settings. The scene of aides huddled over their computers and the president on his cell phone at the club's terrace was captured by a club member dining not far away and published in pictures on his Facebook account. The images also show Trump conferring with his guest, the Japanese prime minister. Shortly before the club member who joined Mr. Trump's club recently took the pictures, North Korea test-fired a ballistic missile into the sea off its eastern coast. The guy, this is the member, probably soon-to-be ex-member, posted his photographs to Facebook as the two leaders, this would be President Trump and the Japanese Prime Minister, and their staff members reviewed documents and worked on their laptops using cell phones as flashlights. Holy moly! It was fascinating to watch the flurry of activity at dinner when the news came that North Korea had launched a missile in the direction of Japan. The guy writes on his Facebook page, describing how the two leaders conferred and then went into another room for a hastily arranged press conference. Wow, the center of action. All right, now now let me just take a step back here. Now, I, am I suggesting that national security was necessarily compromised? No. But fair is fair. If Barack Obama had been sitting at a country club in Hawaii before he was getting ready to play golf, and North Korea had fired a test missile, and out on the public terrace, you know, you would have had Obama and the aides on a cell phone with their laptop computers open. When you've got people that are just right, you know, down the hall watching all this while they're eating supper, I admit I would have gone on the radio and said, "This is just nuts." I mean, this is going to help how you conduct national security measures. And so, fair is fair. I would have criticized Barack Obama for doing this, and it's kind of like, you know, what are you thinking, President Trump, that you're going to turn the, the terrace, this restaurant of of a country club that is open to, again, members, members who are not screened, members who are essentially well-heeled, but members of the general public. You know, you've got a crowd that, that's out there, you know, and here you got a guy who's sitting six tables away while you are on your laptop, while you are on your cell phone, while you are dealing with measures that arguably could affect national security. I mean, at some point in time, maybe that's if you're going to deal with this type of stuff, maybe you excuse yourself and you go into a private room. Look, I want the Trump administration to succeed. I really do. But it's stuff like this that feeds into all the worst fears that a lot of people have, that the administration is cavalier, that they are not careful, and that they're going to do something that's going to really screw things up, like perhaps having a national security conversation on the terrace of a country club with members of the country club five or six tables away. Just saying. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes. Milwaukee police officer in trouble for shooting a dog. It's an interesting story, and it's dealer's choice. Ten oh eight, Jeff Webb. Glad to have you with us. All right, I, I admit this is a this is a topic that kind of hits close to home. Um, if you are a regular listener, you know that I am a dog lover, and um, my my little dog Sasha is one of the lights of my life. And in my case. She's a little dog. I don't let her. I do not let her out of the house unless she's on a leash. I, I just, I just don't because 
she's a little dog, and I'm afraid that she's gonna. If I if I were to let her out in the backyard, I'm afraid that she could tangle with a raccoon or some critter or something like that. So it, she just does. She does not get to run free. She is on a leash when I take her out and walk her. And maybe there's times if you go to a dog park or something that's fenced in, you can control it. But it's a general rule. She is on. She's on a leash. That's just the reality. Now I know there's a lot of people who who don't who let their dogs run, particularly in their yard. And in many cases, they have the electric fences. For example, right around the corner from where I live, there's it's a, it's a wonderfully well-behaved dog, and you know, there's an electric fence. And you will kind of walk by, and the, the electric fence works. The, the dog does not leave. Unfortunately, electric fences don't always work. So here is the story. I first saw this on, on Channel 6. Um, this family, who this is... The day, but two days before Thanksgiving, they live out on like 112th Street in the city of Milwaukee, and and they've got they've got two dogs. It's two days before Thanksgiving. They let their dogs out into the backyard of their house. What happens? And they, like they do most mornings, um, the yard is secured by an underground electric fence. Dogs link to it through their, their collars. And so they're out in the backyard, and the family's not paying much attention to them. They do this all the time. So what happens is, you know, Mom says that she she whistles, and the, the two dogs come running back. And the younger dog, whose name is Effie, she said was absolutely just just terrorized. And what apparently happened is that the dogs, the electric fence had malfunctioned. So the dogs had gotten out, and the dogs had gotten into the neighbor's yard. And the family says, "We don't have any. We've never had any problems with the neighbors. We don't. We don't let our dogs run free. The neighbor had never come over and complained to us. Hey, that the dogs are in our yard. That's destroying stuff. It's just dogs got out loose this day. It's, and it, it's not like these dogs were attacking anybody. It's just the electric fence malfunctioned. Somehow, dogs get into the neighbor's backyard. Apparently, what the neighbor did." was when when the dogs were in his backyard, he pulled out what they say is a Crossman Quest 1000X pellet rifle and fired two shots at the dog. The pellet rifle adv- advertises it can fire rounds at a rate of 1,000 feet per second. The two rounds fired by the neighbor struck the shepherd retriever mix named Vinny. So the two dogs come back. The one little dog is terrified. The other one, Vinny, according to the complaint, returns to his home where he collapses inside the residence. Um, they then rush the dog to the animal hospital where the following day the animal, the dog dies. Um, one of the pellets that was shot at the dog was found to have penetrated his abdomen, causing internal injuries that resulted in, in his death. So... All right, so you get this, the dogs run free, they're in the neighbor's yard, the neighbor apparently pulls out this pellet rifle and shoots the dogs, and he ends up killing one of the dogs. The neighbor comes up and apparently says that, yes, I, I shot I shot your dog, and, and I'm sorry I did it, but doesn't explain why, why he did that, why he decided to shoot them, uh, the dog. Um, the woman, the owners say, hey, you know, um, we've been neighbors for eight years. The, de- the defendants never previously raised any concerns about the dogs. I mean, we just, we, you know, we don't know why this morning he decided to shoot the, the dogs. But it doesn't appear that the dogs were doing anything. Okay, here's, 
Here's the dazzling detail about this. The neighbor, the person who allegedly shot the dogs, a Milwaukee police officer since 1997. He has now been suspended from work with pay, facing departmental discipline and an internal investigation. Now, according to Fox 6, this police officer, who's been on the force since 1997, has been reprimanded 11 times and suspended once. Since 1997, just two years after he was hired, so he was hired in 1995, there have been 35 internal affairs cases open to investigate him. There's a list of allegations, including misconduct in public office, illegal strip search, soliciting a prostitute, sexual assault, perjury, battery, improper use of force, and failure to be courteous, among others. Some of the allegations were found to be untrue. More often than not, there was simply not enough evidence to prove what really happened. In those cases, he was never disciplined. Um, the Milwaukee Police Department says it's not unusual for police officers who have been on the force a long time, like this guy, to have multiple unsustained allegations against them. Um, MPD points out that when the guy was disciplined before, it was for rule violations, not for breaking the law. None of the previous allegations against him resulted in criminal charges. But at the same time, in a 20-year period, 35 internal affairs cases opened, some of which were determined to be without merit, many of which um, simply not enough evidence. And now the guy apparently shoots and kills his people's dog, you know, with a pellet rifle. All right, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Apart from the criminal prosecution, now he's been charged with a felony, he's entered a not guilty plea. There does not appear to be any question that this cop, off-duty cop, did what he's alleged to do. I mean, he's denied the not guilty thing, but apparently he admitted he shot the dog. Under these circumstances... Should this guy ever be allowed to be on the police force again? 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Is there ever going to be any justification for doing what this man, apparently at least to the neighbor, and according to the neighbor, says the guy admitted that he shot the dog? I mean, is there any possible justification for this? Or is this an example where, okay, this demonstrates somebody who is just not fit to be a police officer. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. And if your dog's got loose, ran into your neighbor's yard, and the neighbor pulls out a pellet gun and shoots and kills one of the dogs, I mean, what what should happen to him? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Now, my guess is... My guess is the guy, by shooting the pellet gun, wasn't necessarily intending to kill the dog, but rather was, I don't know, trying to scare him off or hurt him or whatever, or maybe he just thought it was fun, because, I mean, it was a pellet gun. But in this case, the pellet gun killed the dog. Should this guy ever be on the police force again? It's 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Is there ever an excuse for doing what this off-duty Milwaukee police officer is alleged to have done? If you're just tuning in, the story is, lives in this nice suburban neighborhood. It's on 112th Street. Um, You've got neighbors who have dogs. There's an electric fence. Two days before Thanksgiving, the neighbors have their dogs outside. 
Somehow the electric fence malfunctions. Dogs get loose. They run into the neighbor's yard. This apparently is not a recurring sort of thing. No bad relations between the neighbors. The dogs aren't attacking, trying to kill somebody. The dogs are just, okay, they, they, they're dogs. They get loose. They're in the neighbor's backyard. The neighbor doesn't call the folks and say, hey, your dogs are in my backyard. Get them out. What the neighbor at least allegedly does is goes, grabs this pellet gun and fires at the dogs, hits one of the dogs twice. One of the pellets, apparently it's going fast enough that it gets into the dog's abdomen, kills the dog. Dog comes back. They take it to the animal hospital. Dog's dead. Turns out the dog ends up dying. Turns out that the guy who did this is a Milwaukee police officer who has at least a checkered series of allegations of misconduct. Never been charged with a crime. Um, some of the allegations of misconduct not proven. Um, some turned out to be false, but lots and lots of allegations. The police department says, well, it's not unusual for somebody who's been in the force for 20 years to, to have all sorts of, you know, unproven allegations. But at the same time, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And now there's a dead dog. The guy is fel- facing a felony charge and he has been suspended with pay, obviously pending the outcome of that case. This is one of those situations, and and maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't, but I cannot imagine a situation where under these circumstances there is ever a justification for firing on a neighbor's pets. This is not a situation where you are in, I don't know, you're in the country and you've got some rabid dog that is attacking your kids. This is not a situation where you've got some... I don't know, predatory animal that's coming and trying to eat your chickens. These are, these are a couple of dogs that belong to the neighbors and the neighbors' kids that get loose. That happens. And what you typically do in a situation like that is you, I don't know, you, you call the neighbors or you walk over and you say, hey, your dogs are in my backyard. And if there is a problem, you know, and if it's a recurring problem with the dogs getting loose, well, then what you do is maybe you call the police or whatever, and you say, I've got this recurring problem with the dogs getting loose. Got to work with the neighbor to end up dealing with these things. You don't take it upon yourself to pull out, in this case, it's a pellet gun, and shoot the dogs. That demonstrates to me somebody who has the impulse control of a fruit fly, and if you are willing to do that to animals in your backyard, it tells me that, you probably should no longer be on the street carrying a badge. And I understand that might be extreme, but you know what? The way you treat animals says a lot about the way you treat humans. And, again, if you're at a point where you're shooting dogs, and like I say, my guess is, I don't know if he intended to kill the dogs or not. He used a pellet gun, not a service revolver. But, you know, seriously, nobody... Nobody would do that. Uh, Greg writes, any responsible firearm owner knows that you never point a gun at something you don't intend to shoot or kill. doesn't matter whether it's a BB gun, a pellet gun, or a fifty caliber sniper rifle. The guy should lose his job. Seriously poor judgment with a firearm, and it's unacceptable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't care what the defense is. I mean, if this, unless, unless this is, gee, these dogs were attacking me and I feared for my life, and nobody suggests that, this is not responsible behavior and certainly not something that you expect from somebody who's going to be out enforcing the laws. It is 1025, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. 
Making a Murderer moves to Chicago today as Brandon Dassey appears before an appeals court. Actually, that would be his lawyers appearing before an appeals court. Eric and Tracy have the latest from the courtroom during WTMJ Today at 107. We'll actually be discussing that tomorrow after the arguments. Of course, I think everybody's familiar right now. Uh, a U.S. magistrate judge in Milwaukee, and magistrate judges are, are not federal judges. Federal judges are nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. What federal judges then do is they hire lawyers um, as magistrate judges, and magistrate judges then do preliminary work. Um, I mean, they, they have authority. I mean, the judges designate them to have authority. They can try cases if the parties consent to it, uh, but they generally handle routine sort of matters. They do bail hearings and things like that, and then you can, if you don't like it, you can appeal to the, to the judge. I used to... Um, when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, I used to tangle with a couple of the magistrates. At the time, they were called magistrates. Now they're called magistrate judges all the time who would want to release these drug dealers on bail. There was one particular magistrate, and we used to laugh about it. I, I mean, I, I think he got tired of having the footprints on my back because I kept going over his head, on his back, going over his head so many times because he wanted to release people. And I knew if you really release these guys, we would never see them again. So I used to routinely appeal it. But that's magistrate judges handle preliminary matters. One of the routine matters is typically what we used to call prisoner appeals. Somebody gets convicted in state court. They've exhausted, they've gone up through the state court system, they've lost, and they're sitting in, in prison with a lot of time on their hands. And, and I don't want to say all prisoners, but many prisoners, especially ones who are doing significant amount of time, what then they do is they go into federal court and they try to challenge their state conviction. They say, okay, I, we, I know I've lost in state court, but... Here, my, my federal rights have been violated because of X, Y, or, or Z. And these are routine sort of motions which are almost always denied. Well, Brandon Dassey, who, of course, is the, the nephew of uh, Stephen Avery, he, on his attorneys, file one of these, these federal petitions for habeas corpus. It gets assigned to a magistrate judge who'd only been on the bench for a couple years with very little criminal law experience, and the magistrate judge issues this opinion saying, yes, I don't care what the state of Wisconsin has said, I don't care what the appellate court in the state of Wisconsin said. I don't care what the circuit court judge said. I find that his rights have been violated because of the confession and things like that. And he orders the state to either retry him or to release him. I, I've read the opinion. With all due respect to the magistrate judge, I think he's wrong. And again, it, I, it just the law is an art. It is not a science. Reasonable people can disagree. I think this is a decision which is very, very wrong. But the state now appeals it to the United States Court for the Seventh Circuit. You, you remember the same magistrate judge then refused to stay his order, essentially saying, if you're not going to retry him, he has to be released. The state appealed that, and the Seventh Circuit, the United States Court of Appeals, said, no, he's not going anywhere. We're, we're going we're to hold him. That, I, I think, was clearly the right decision, and I think it probably sent a signal that the Seventh Circuit, the Court of Appeals, didn't. They, they certainly weren't confident that the magistrate judge was correct in his ruling. In any event, there's an oral argument today in Chicago where the judges will, again, hear the arguments, ask questions. You will go broke trying to, if you were to try to interpret what a court is going to do based on the questions they ask or things like that. But um, we'll spend some more time talking about this tomorrow. For, again, for the reasons I've said over the years, I, I think the magistrate judge in this case, with all due respect, is is way out there. I think, in my opinion, 
it is unlikely that the Court of Appeals will agree with the magistrate judge. And my guess is, ultimately, the Brandon Dassey convic- conviction is going to be affirmed. But but who knows? They're going to argue that today. And that's what that story is all about. For people who are, I don't know, planning on thinking that Brandon Dassey is going to be getting out of prison anytime soon, unlikely. Now, unless if after the briefing and after the oral arguments, it becomes clear that the Court of Appeals believes there has been a huge um, injustice here. I mean, it, it could be possible that you're going to get a decision right away. I mean, obviously, they believe that there's somebody that's in prison that should not be in prison. They'll act quickly. I think one of the indicators are will be as to how they're going to rule. If there is not an immediate or a semi-immediate, and I mean within a couple of days, um, order coming out saying Brendan Dassey is to be released, um, I think that probably means that the magistrate judge is going to be overruled and the conviction is going to be affirmed. That would be my off-the-cuff reaction. But I am fascinated to hear the discussion of the arguments because I know everybody is following that case closely. Coming up next, Wisconsin's DNR gets out of the business of publishing a magazine and some of the usual suspects are upset. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That is my producer Hondo's tribute to Valentine's Day. Silly love song. During the break, he said, you want me to come back with some like Valentine's Day-inspired music? And I, and I was wondering if it was going to be like Barry White or something like that. We get Paul McCartney and we get Paul McCartney and, and silly love songs. Okay, you are, in fact, a romantic at heart. Yes, it's, um, it is Valentine's Day. Find your significant other and tell them how much they matter to you. Uh, committing a completely selfless act may, de- may do more than just affect someone else. A new study shows how a random act of kindness could positively affect your own health. Hmm. Get the details on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Be sure to tune in at 421 today. Let me back into this next topic. Um, the, the, the media, particularly the Journal Sentinel, has been obsessed lately with this premise that the Walker administration is scrubbing references to climate change from from various websites to the point that it's like the old movie Absence of Malice, that, that some of the stuff they're reporting is accurate but not true. For example, that they do this big, heavy-breathing story about how the, the Public Service Commission, the PSC, has removed this lengthy report on climate change that had been up there for six or seven years. And the implication is, here, this is this conscious effort by people in the Public Service Commission to to get rid of this this whole thing. Well, it's, it's accurate that this old report was removed. It's not true, though, that it was done in an effort to purge things from climate change. Matter of fact, I, I speculated on this and subsequently confirmed it. I mean, the websites, if you run a website... You, you want to constantly be changing your, your content. I mean, after something's been up, I mean, nowadays, you know, if something's been up just a couple days, it, it is old news. So what the Public Service Commission did in this particular instance is, you know, they undertook a review saying, okay, let's, let's look at the stuff that's dated. Let's look at the stuff that, that's old, that's been up there for a long time. Let us clean it up, which is what anybody who's responsible does. And so, so, um, for example, that this report about climate change that was commissioned by Jim Doyle that's six or seven years old, yes, they, they removed that. But they removed all sorts of stuff. It had nothing to do with we're trying to purge this from climate change. It's just we're trying to clean up old stuff. And 
The Journal Sentinel, either the reporter either didn't care um, about that aspect of it, but it didn't advance the agenda. So th- this is what is going on here. You have the, the Walker administration is, is hostile to this, and they're trying to purge these things. And, again, is the story accurate? Yes, it, it was. They removed this, you know, several-year-old report. But is it true that they removed it because they're trying to pretend that climate change doesn't exist? No, it, it's it's not true. It was just, hey, it's been up here for years and years. We're trying to clean things up, which is what, any, you know, anybody who runs a website, that's what you do. I mean, we have people that are constantly monitoring our website that are taking stuff down all the time. That's just what happens. And my guess is there's not too much stuff that we have up on our website that is six or seven years old. It's, you know, it's not like, hey, we want to get rid of stuff that Jeff wrote seven years ago. It's just, okay, it's seven years old. People aren't looking at this anymore. We need to make room for the new stuff. But that's, that is the premise that is going on there in this sort of gotcha journalism thing. So here is the latest story in that regard that's out there. Wisconsin DNR to cease publication of Venerable Magazine. All right, so that's one of these loaded headlines. Venerable Magazine. All right, so that tells you, well, this, this is what they're doing. All right, here's the way the story is reported. Governor Scott Walker's budget would kill a self-supporting magazine published by the Department of Natural Resources that two former former editors, say has avoided controversial issues, including climate change, since the start of Walker's first term in 2011. Wisconsin Natural Resources Magazine is slated to cease publication in February of next year, a move the Walker administration says will allow the DNR to be more efficient and to concentrate on its mission of managing natural resources and protecting the environment. In its budget last week, the Walker administration said ending the magazine would save about $300,000 in the next fiscal year and eliminate two full-time positions. Wisconsin Natural Resources has a circulation of about 75,000, including 40,000 who receive the magazine when they buy the conservation patron license, which includes multiple fish and game licenses. In a statement, Walker spokesperson Tom Evanson says, it's not the government's role to produce magazines that duplicate what is available in the private market. But... This is the story. The former editors say the magazine allowed the DNR to highlight natural resource issues the agency was working on and gave the agency a platform to communicate to the public and champion the natural charms of the Badger State. Also said the the publication has supported itself through subscription sales and that the positions that the Walker administration says it will cut are, are vacant. Articles and photos are produced by DNR employees or freelancers who did not get paid. Price of a one-year subscription is eight ninety-five. Um, all right. So then it goes on, and the implication is: okay, this is another situation where you know the DNR is trying to scrub references to climate change. The DNR is trying to avoid controversial issues, and now the DNR is doing away with this magazine. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Look, I think it is fair to criticize the DNR for a lot of stuff. But in this particular case, you know, you've got this this magazine that, all right, um, whether it deals with controversial issues or not, I mean, seriously, you look at what goes on and how magazines are read and how they're perceived. And I don't know about you, but I get a lot of magazines and stuff in the mail that come with different subscriptions or things like that. And maybe I glance through them, but then they end up in the circular file. There's all sorts of ways that you have of communicating with people nowadays if you want to advance causes. Is ending this magazine 
a big deal. And my guess is, I know I, I know a lot of people listen to this program, maybe you, big supporters of the DNR, you got licenses. I, my guess is a lot of people probably get this magazine as part of, again, the, the conservation package. Does the Walker administration need to reconsider? Do we need to have this magazine, or is is the governor right when he says, hey, there's all sorts of conservation magazines that are out there. The DNR doesn't need to continue producing one. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. And if you're one of the people who gets this magazine, is it going to change your life if suddenly it stops being produced? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. It's 1042. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1046, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up about 20 minutes, the war on scalpers. Stick around. Right now we're talking about this decision by the Walker administration to stop publishing this magazine that's been put out by the DNR for quite a while it's called the Wisconsin Natural Resources Magazine. Uh, people, if you have a con- if you got a conservation patron license, which includes multiple fish and game licenses, it's included. Um, those cost one hundred and sixty five bucks. Otherwise, it's uh, one year subscription is eight ninety five. As a result of dropping this, um, your conservation license thing will go down by eight dollars and ninety five cents. The governor's office says, "Hey, we're you know we're not magazine publishers." We are, you know, we are DNR workers, and the DNR workers who contributed to the magazine won't be spending time to write and research articles. Uh, they say we're stewards of the resources, not magazine publishers. This is being portrayed as another one of the examples of the Walker administration to, I don't know, deny climate change and things like that. 414-799-1620 is the number. Gary in Plymouth. Gary, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my sure. call. What do you think? I've been a subscriber for some time, and um, uh, now, are you a subscriber as under the eight ninety five thing, or is it included in like the conservation patron thing? No, I'm the eight ninety five. Okay, and got Interestingly it. enough, I buy three subscriptions. I send some to out of uh, state children, that mm-hmm. adult children that very much enjoy that reading, that connection to the outdoors of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and um, I, uh, I I think it's a a fantastic magazine for the money. I, um, for instance, buy Arizona Highway Magazine, which is put out by the state of Arizona, and that's 24 bucks a year. Right. And this is, that does come monthly, by the way, but this is much better magazine, and uh, I would I would certainly miss it. What what is the, what do you like about the magazine? And by the way, I, I understand it's a po- I'm, I'm told at least it's a popular magazine. Um, what what do you like about it? It just has unique outdoor uh, articles about a lot of things about wildlife and uh, certainly some conservation, but a lot about animals and birds and fish and uh, just what's being done in the state. And um, I, I, I just think that they've got a product there they could charge a lot more for, and maybe they wouldn't be such a financial burden. So you would pay more for it? Sure. sure. Interesting. Thanks. thanks for, see, because, I mean, my understanding is the the subscriptions. There's enough of a subscription base that essentially pays for it, uh, pays for the cost of it. But at the same time, you, you also have like DNR employees who are are spending some of their work time that that are writing it. I, I see. I just think this is this larger issue of the fact that magazines, especially magazines like this, are going the way of the dodo bird. I mean, I you know, just look at what's happened to. The U.S. News is the world, or the Time magazines of the world. I mean, it's just the, the old way of printing up these magazines and sending them out in the mail. 
that's just not how younger generations are are getting their information. I mean, that's I think this is just I think there's going to be more and more more and more government entities who are going to just go this route because that's not the way people are getting their information anymore. 414-799-1620 is the number. Dave in Milwaukee. Dave, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Dave. Okay, let's try Paul on North Lake. Paul, good morning. Hi. Yeah, I get the magazine through my conservation patron's license, and I look forward to it coming. I wish it came more often. And I actually... How often? Also, do, how is it quarterly? How often do they produce it? I think it? it's quarterly. I think okay. it's like every two or three months. Okay. Um, but then uh, I also get a subscription from my sister-in-law down in Illinois, and who travels to Wisconsin quite a bit, and they use it as kind of like a guide to see what they want to go and do in Wisconsin. I also see it as like an advertisement for, uh, you know, Wisconsin, because it, uh, it shows, they always feature a, a place in the back cover and uh, tell you directions on how to get there. And, you know, that's one thing my wife and I will do for camping in an area, or we're in an area, we'll go check out those spots. So it's sort of like a tourism thing in, as much. well. Yeah, yeah. Would, would you pay more for it? Oh, yes, definitely. Really? So, like how yeah, much? I really, I mean, I'm curious. I, I mean, if, if well, they doubled I it, I mean, no, I'm just, I mean, if they said, okay, it's going to be 19 bucks a year or something like that, would that be worth it to you? I think I probably would. Interesting. Thanks for coming. I'm, I'm just, nice. people are listening to this now. If there's a way that you can turn it into a, if there's enough interest, if this really is so popular that people might be willing to, I don't know, pay more money for it so that you, you know, you, you could afford to keep it, well, maybe that's something that uh, folks would consider. Bill in Oconomowoc. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Boy, you could have hit a topic that's more important to me right today. Really? Uh, Having served on many boards with the DNR, I think it would be horrible to remove this publication. And I heard the previous comment, and I'm asking, I'm not telling. I believe, from what I understand, it is self-sufficient cost-wise. Yes, that that is my, that my understanding is that as far as the cost of pub, now, with that, my understanding is that you've got DNR employees who are working on government time to help produce this. But, but yes, it doesn't it doesn't cost money other than the fact that you have some people who are researching and writing things on government time. But uh, and on that, Jeff, developing from that point which you just mentioned is tourism is number two in our state, and if the DNR isn't heavily involved in tourism or making this a better place to come to. Isn't that what it's all about? Doesn't it, that kind of draw a conclusion? Is this, is this, I guess, the best way to push tourism? I mean, Oh, it, absolutely, and I'll tell you why. Your previous caller mentioned that I know plenty of people who subscribe to the magazine outside of the state. Well, I believe that's tourism. Would, would you pay more for it than eight ninety five? Yes, I've got to be honest. I, I would, but I believe, I've been trying to contact the DNR about this, and I'm having zero luck. I believe that our current administration is very anti-DNR. And, huh. you know, with Kathy Stepp and all that, uh, I, but we have to draw a line. And this is where the line has really? to be drawn. Really? You, you, you feel that? I'm serious. You feel that strongly about it, huh? Oh, I guarantee it. I can give you prime examples, working with the governor and Scott Fitzgerald, of very anti-DNR things they have done that I personally can speak on. Mm-hmm. When, the, when the governor's office says... That we're we're in the steward of natural resources business. We're not in the magazine publishing business. Do you buy that at all? Uh, no, and here's why. Uh, we are the stewards, but part of that, you know, you're, they're, they're hitting a fine point here, is this publication. This is 
This justifies our taxpayer dollars. Here's where your accounting system becomes accountable. You're reading what's done with your money in this state. That's what, you know, it's a very interesting publication. If you've never read it, Jeff, I would love to hear your point. It is. Is it, is it possible that you could accomplish the things that you are talking about, like promoting tourism through the DNR or something like that, by something other than a magazine, like modifying the website or doing things like that? I, you're, I, got, I love your concept. I really do. And I mean this honestly. I think you've got something that would be interesting for people to research, given that publications are more old school than they are right. today. And if you had an online magazine, you might have an excellent point. Okay, good enough. Thank, I mean, I just, I just, I just kind of throw, I, I kind of throw that out there. But I, I am intrigued because you know we've got lots of phone calls here, and there's people that suggest that they would genuinely miss this. And fair is fair. It's not. It, it doesn't cost. My understanding is it pays for itself. Other than that, the time you have certain government employees that are spending producing it. To me, the fundamental question is: Is producing a magazine like this? You know, should the DNR be in the magazine business? Um, maybe they could be in the magazine business if people are willing to pay more for it. Mark in New Berlin. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, I, I just don't understand. Why don't they just put everything online? You know, everybody has a phone now. If I have a phone now, everybody has one, you know. You were the last holdout. Huh? Now, okay, let me, do you have a smartphone or do you have a, do you have one of the old-fashioned flip phones? A flip phone. <laughs> That's my brother-in-law, Dave. Dave, he's proud of it. He's got he's got the old flip phone. But but you're thinking the actual you, you like the concept of what they're doing, and you'd like to see them continue doing it. Just maybe do it in a different fashion. To be honest, which I've never seen it. I'm not yeah. outdoors, man. Got it. Got it. Understand? I'm you know, if Time Magazine and these magazines put their publications and went online, I mean, right. I'm sure. Just go online and everybody can look at. Everybody's on their phone anyhow. Right. Now, thanks. Well, that, now that is. I, I mean. Now, the Walker administration, that's why I find this to be an interesting conversation. And if, if there really is a groundswell of support for this magazine and people feel, hey, this would be just the end of the – I don't want to overstate this. If people would miss the publication of this, and, I mean, the, the newspaper story is somewhat critical of the Walker administration because they say over the last four or five years it allegedly has gotten away from more controversial sort of issues – but if the idea behind this is to promote tourism and promote things the DNR is doing, and people feel that they would genuinely miss that, well, may- maybe there's a basis to reconsider. Norma in Bloomfield. Norma, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Yes, I would be very disappointed. I get it. I'm not a hunter. My family is not interested in hunting or anything. And so I buy the magazine for one of my sons. And the last time, issue I very much enjoyed, and it was the groundwater, mm-hmm. uh, Wisconsin, powering Wisconsin's economy. I thought that was so interesting. It's something I'm interested in, especially because I'm surrounded with farms and um, don't always agree with the chemicals do they're using, but that's... The, do, you think that's if they, do you think that there's other magazines out there that would fill the same purpose? No, because they fill, they fill a variety. Okay. So there's something for everyone in this magazine. Okay, thanks for call. Appreciate it. Um, just jam phone lines on this. People, people love this magazine, and so maybe my advice again. I, 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 I look at to me. I look at more like the delivery system. I agree with what the governor is saying. When is is the DNR really in the? Is it in the magazine publishing business? But it does sound like a lot of people use this at, as a tourism thing and as a way to promote Wisconsin. 
And if that's what it's doing, well, maybe they should take another look at this. Just saying, based on the calls that we are getting, 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, the war on scalpers, do you support it? It's coming up. Stick around. 1108, this is Jeff Wagner, Belinda. I love the piece that you just played that we've been playing during the course of the morning. Mike Spaulding's piece on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Let's cue that up again for people who might not have heard it, Hundo. Some couples are stepping it up on the most romantic day of the year. Eddie and Veronica Williams are tying the knot. It was his decision. He wanted to get married on Valentine's Day. Why Valentine's Day? Romance, of course. Well, because I knew I was in love with her, and I know she loves me too, and I couldn't have another better gift to offer her than me on Valentine's Day. Milwaukee County Clerk George Christensen says they're anticipating a record number of marriages today. At the county courthouse in downtown Milwaukee, Mike Spaulding. Double okay, <laughs> okay, Belinda, give, give me the. I'm just uh, give me the female perspective on this. If the, the, he can't think of a gift that's better than himself on <laughs> Valentine's Day, he's lazy and he's not thinking hard enough. I, I actually, I give the guy credit for chutzpah because it, number one, it's one thing to think about it. Then it's another thing to go on the radio and say, I can't think of a better thing than me to give as a gift. Yeah, that was totally his out loud voice. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So in other words, again, from the female perspective, you know, when you're talking to your boyfriend, it's, it's like, honey, you know, this, this is, I am your gift. It's me. That's not going to work, huh? No. (laughs) Okay. Guys, Guys, be be aware of that. Okay, and I, and just I think just anything, anything, a candy, a flower, anything, but don't say you. Just don't do it. Just <laughs> you might think it, you might think it, but just don't, don't, don't do it. Yes, this is this is Valentine's Day, and um, yeah, think think those think those things through. There's no okay. So now, Honda, have you rethought this? Yesterday, you were unclear as to whether you were going to purchase, you were going to obtain a gift for Mrs. Hondo. For God's sake, don't tell me that the gift is going to be you. You cannot spoil it on the air, but you are, there's just going to be something. There is something. Okay. I have helped save your marriage. All right. Because <laughs> yesterday you were on the fence about this until I berated you publicly about this. Yeah. It's, um, Yes, it is Valentine's Day out there. For those of you who have significant others, you might want to consider <laughs> consider doing that 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 type of that type of stuff. I, I, I'm, it's the best gift in the world. Hmm. I don't know. I, hopefully, he had his tongue firmly in his cheek when he was saying that. But I just love that clip. All right, as somebody who regularly goes to concerts. One of the things that I, I frequently do is, you, you know, you, you see that they're announcing a concert. Tickets go on sale whenever. And if it's somebody that I particularly want to see, um, first of all, I try to figure out, is there a pre-sale that I can get in? But but then, okay, tickets go on sale. So, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on the Internet. I'm going to be checking this out because I want to get tickets. And I'm sure if you've been in that situation like I have, it's so frustrating sometimes because you log on, you're waiting Tickets go on sale at 11 o'clock. You, you get on, you get in this line, and it's 11.03, and you find that the tickets are all sold. And then, two minutes later, if you're looking on the secondary market, whether it's StubHub or whatever, you see the tickets that you were trying to buy are now on sale for, I don't know, five or six or seven times more. And, and you know it's not the fans that are out there. They're doing that. Um, and it, it is frustrating. Now, I appreciate 
that if you are in the ticket resale business, that there there is a risk that you take. You buy these tickets, and if the show isn't popular or there's not the demand and you can't sell them, you know, you end up being stuck with them. But it's this tension that's out there, and, and it's particularly true. Now, I, I find it true with concerts, but it's particularly true with um, some of these big plays that are out there. New York Times writes about this. Hamilton, which is the, the really hot show, just left Broadway. Now it's in Chicago. Hamilton and the new Harry Potter play are the hottest theatrical shows of the moment, with Hamilton outgrossing everything else on Broadway and the new Harry Potter play bringing everything to London. But this is the New York Times writing. Success has a side effect. Both shows have fallen prey to high-tech scalpers who harvest huge quantities of seats and then resell them at exorbitant markups. Hamilton has been particularly hit hard. When it first opened on Broadway, nearly 80% of the seats were purchased by automated ticket bots. And for the final performance of the, the star on Broadway, resellers were seeking on average $10,900 a seat. So again, these aren't the fans. These are the ticket brokers, the scalpers, going in with these these these, these um, automated ticket buying programs and scooping up all the seats that they possibly can, shutting out the, the real fans, and then turning around and reselling the tickets at ridiculous amounts. So now Hamilton is getting ready to open in London, and Harry Potter is getting ready to open in Broadway. The producers of the shows are trying to figure out a way to aggressively contain this this scalping and they're they're wrestling with how they do this um for concerts for example for for artists um it it drives i I know it drives the performers nuts because first of all the the fans can't get the tickets and secondly if you're selling a ticket for a hundred bucks um and the the thing is going to be purchased by a ticket broker for a hundred and then resold for 500 in my example all right well the artist isn't getting that money you know what i mean i mean if i'm if i'm the guy that's the performer and i'm thinking wait a second you know i'm i want my fans to be able to see me so i'm going to price the tickets at an affordable rate I'll take 100 in my example and then they're going to turn around and be resold for 500 i should be the one getting the 500 dollars i mean why why is it that the ticket broker is able to to get that. And I understand the ticket brokers take the risk and all that. So they're wrestling with different ways to deal with this. And one of the things that they are considering doing is saying, instead of getting a traditional ticket from the box office or a ticket that you can print on your computer at home, when you buy your tickets, you get an email that confirms your purchase. Yes, you have the, these tickets. Then on the day of the show, you have to bring the same credit card you used for the purchase as well as the email confirmation and a photo ID and then run the credit card through the scanner to get this. Now, actually, last Saturday night, I was telling the story yesterday. Last Saturday night, my best friend Evan and his son Dean and I, we went to see Mindless Violence, John Wick 2. I bought the tickets on the Internet in the afternoon, reserved the seats, paid for it with a credit card, but I couldn't print the tickets. What I had to do is show up at the theater, stick the same credit card that I used to buy the tickets in the machine, and then it spit out the tickets. So, I mean, theoretically, it would have made it a lot more difficult for me to resell the tickets because you would have physically needed to show up, 
with that credit card. So a number of these Broadway shows are considering doing exactly this. The idea being, all right, if, if the only way you can actually obtain the physical ticket is to show up with the credit card that you use to purchase this, well, then it's going to essentially stop stop the ticket brokers in their tracks because they're not going to be at the venue. It's going to stop. They're not going to be at the venue uh, with this. Now, the problem, of course, is it's going to delay a lot of stuff. It's going to take a lot longer to get in because you're not going to just have the tickets in advance. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. If you attend concerts, if you go to shows, would you like to see the performers, the promoters, crack down on the ticket reselling thing by, again, doing something like this, by saying, hey, you're not going to be able to get the, the tickets in advance. You're only going to be able to get them when you show up at the door. You're going to have to use the credit card. You're going to have to have a photo ID. It will delay the process of getting in, no question about it, but it will theoretically give you more of a chance to get the tickets without have, especially for popular events, without having to pay huge prices in the secondary market. Would you like to see more shows? Would you like to see more of these Broadway shows or concerts or performers? Would you like to see them go to this model? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the um, Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. And again, there's downsides. This is going to make it harder to buy tickets as gifts. You're going to clearly have longer lines, you know, if you have to show up at the theater or whatever, and put your credit card in, but but it would give more people a chance. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Bill in Oshkosh. Bill, good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Hey, I think uh, the box office and that and, uh, you know, the ticket sellers for the show ought to really crack down on that because one way they can do it, like you said, is you have to physically show up for the performance. Right. Why can't they limit any one credit card to X amount of tickets? Like, okay, four mm-hmm. tickets. That's the max you can take. Yeah, but of course, here's what's going to happen. My my guess is the the big time, the the, the big time brokers, scalpers, whatever you want to call them. Would have a whole series of you know different credit cards that they could use to get around that. Um, it, I think you know, thanks, I mean I, I don't know. I'd have to think through it. But but yes, I mean this. I mean there, there's different things you could do. But my guess is if you simply said you have to have multiple accounts, well then you'd have the the same people that have these automated you know, bots that purchase all these tickets. They would have all sorts of different credit cards to avoid that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, hold on. I mean, or is this much ado about nothing? I mean, does, does it really matter to you that? All right, so maybe I can't get a ticket buying them directly. It's not that big a deal to go to the the ticket brokers. Eleven nineteen. Jeff Wagner six twenty WTMJ. It's eleven twenty-two. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. But this isn't. This really isn't an anti-ticket resale. But it it is frustrating. It's frustrating to consumers. Big show coming up. You go on the internet. You want. It's you know. It's highly in demand. You're there. Tickets go on sale at eleven. They're all sold at eleven o two. And then you see in the secondary market, there's all these seats that are there, and they've been scooped up by the, these automated programs that the brokers run. 
And again, the brokers are taking risks because if they don't sell them, you know, they're going to be out the money. But then if it is a popular show, people are going to be paying two or three or four times face value. The promoters and the artists don't like this because they're not getting the dough. You know, again, you, you got a, you got a guy who's putting on a, a you know, you got a performer putting on a concert says, Hey, I, I want this to be an affordable experience. I'm going to charge a hundred dollars for the best seats for my, my example. And then. Somebody turns around and you got a broker that's reselling the tickets for three and four hundred dollars. And the artist is thinking, well, I, wait, I'm not getting that money. I mean, if, if somebody's going to be getting the money, it should at least be coming to me. I'm trying to keep the tickets affordable. And they're experimenting with different ways to deal with this, including some Broadway shows that are sitting there saying, OK, one of the things we're going to do is perhaps require you to show. We're not going to let you can buy the tickets in advance. You know, we'll give you an email confirming the process, but you got to use a credit card, and then you've got to show up in advance of the show with that credit card, and that's the only way you're going to physically be able to get your tickets. Let's talk to Joe in Appleton. Joe, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. What do you think? This has always been a sore spot for me as someone that frequents live music on a regular basis as well, and... The question that I've always wondered is I related to sporting events, specifically at Lambeau Field. You're not allowed to scalp tickets outside of Lambeau Field above the face value. Right. Why can't they find a way to make it some type of a, a, a fine or a misdemeanor or a crime if people are caught selling them above the face value on the Internet or other ways for other events? Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, theoretically, you could pass a state law or a federal law, but, I mean, you'd have that, I mean, the, the ticket brokers will tell you that they, they're providing a service. Hey, you know, we, we have and we're entitled, they're entitled to be compensated for that. I mean, could could you bar theoretically like reselling above face value? I mean, maybe you could pass a law for it, but I'm not, I, I'm not sure that, the, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure that there would be support for that. But again, of course, again, the promoters could figure out ways to stop it if they were willing to do it. But in your example, like at Lambeau Field, if you couldn't get Packers tickets until the day of the game. Can you imagine what the delay would be trying to get into the stadium? Most definitely. And you say there'd be people that would be opposed to it. I think the only people that would be opposed to it are the ticket brokers. Um, everybody else wins. The, the artist, me as the fan, everybody else wins. Right. No, what, th- right. I mean, you, you would, doing something like that would put the ticket brokers out of a business. But then I guess, then the other question becomes, okay, if, if I buy tickets to X event, and I decide that I want to sell them to Hondo, and I want to charge Hondo $25 more than I paid for them. I mean, you know, would you make that illegal? I mean, it, it's, I think it's tough to enforce crackdowns on the secondary market. What you can do, though, is you can do these things, make people jump through the hoops to make it difficult for, again, the resellers to do this en masse. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Jeff in Thienesville. Jeff, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hi, good morning. Yeah, I love, I by the way, I love Thienesville. Thienesville is one of my favorite towns. Oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> we, we love it, too. Yeah. It's a fabulous secret. Don't tell everybody. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I'll hit the dump button. We'll go back. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, I, I wouldn't agree that it's uh, much ado about nothing, certainly, because it's really a, it's a, it's a headache, and I, I'm all in favor of free market economy yep. and uh, uh, all the laws associated with capitalistic you know, yep. making, making money on something. However... I think there's a point of abuse in some of this. Uh, I mean, two circumstances. Beyonce, her final uh, tour, which I had no interest in going to see, but I've got a 15-year-old daughter, and I bought my bride and my daughter tickets to go down to Nashville. They drove uh, to Nashville, and, and 
and saw the show. Now, I paid for it with my card because it was a gift. I'm right. certainly not going to, you know, hand out my American Express card, which is, you know, first of all, it's illegal to do. I don't want to lose my, jeopardize my account. Right. And uh, uh, so that I don't see that it's a very realistic solution to do it that way. To, for the consumer, what you're doing is you're transferring the burden that others are taking advantage of. You're transferring that that burden, or they're just passing it on to the consumer. That's not that's not fair. And this thing about Hamilton, we bought tickets to go down to Chicago again. My wife and daughter. I mean. The prices are just ridiculous yep. Uh, yep. in the secondary market. They're, they're gone instantly, and I've got a, a 15-year-old that wants to see it. And, and uh, so, you know, what, what do you, how do you control it? I'm not in favor of regulation. There's too many liberal laws now that are, that are in place. Well, but, but you might not need, right, you might not need a law. I mean, is, what, what would you suggest that a promoter or the artist do to solve this problem? If, if, I, I don't know if it's, as mu- if it's as simple as putting a cap, a legal cap or restriction, which is regulation, yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to a certain amount, uh, a certain valuation or percentage of the ticket uh, sold. I mean, that's what basically that's what Ticketmaster was doing uh, when they first came into existence. It was, a, it was an extra $25 for the convenience of utilizing uh, Ticketmaster as a service. Yeah, but at the same time, if you're going to turn around, I mean, when you look at what some of these these tickets, like we'll take the Hamilton example, are, are being resold for, that $25 just gets gets written into it, and I'm sure people are paying these crazy amounts. Yeah, no, I, I, understand, I mean, I understand it's a difficult thing, and I appreciate what, what you are saying is if you if you have to show up with the credit card, what you're going to do is you, you, make, it more dif- you make it difficult to give gifts. I mean, especially... Um, all right. Let's even get outside of your situation with the, with the family where you you used your credit card. I mean, theoretically, maybe if your wife was going to be the one that's attending, you could have used you know her, her card because you knew she was going to be attending because you don't want to just give her your American Express card. I, I get that, but I mean, it becomes almost impossible if you want to give tickets to Hamilton, for example, to I don't know your best friend or something, and you're not planning to go because you do need the card. I mean, having said that, like I say, that when I went to see the movie. On Saturday night, if I wanted to order the tickets in advance, like I did to reserve my seats, I had to use a credit card, and then I had to show up with that credit card. It's eleven twenty nine. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. It'll be TMJ. It's eleven thirty six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Making a murderer moves to Chicago today. As a matter of fact, the argument's just concluded as Brandon Dassey appears before an appeals court. Say his lawyers appear before an appeals court. He is in Dassey's in jail. Eric and Tracy have the latest from the courtroom during WTMJ today at one oh seven. Be sure and check that out. Um, in addition, I, I want to encourage you to go to WTMJ.com. This is actually a, I I find it to be very sort of exciting and interesting. We have our new WTMJ, if you go to WTMJ.com, you'll see this, uh, it says WTMJ Mobile, and it's it's our, our podcast page. Now, we, by popular demand, podcast my show in its entirety, so you can download them. You can also sign up to be notified when there's new downloads that are available. We also do a Sports Central with Greg Matzik by a podcast thing, and I just, I mean, I, I've been talking to people that put this together, and I know lots and lots of people all over the world are taking advantage of the podcast, and I think that's so very cool. We also have a number of different podcasts from people whose voices you don't hear on the radio that are up there, um, so so check them all out. I really, I, I encourage you to do that. It's kind of exciting, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun, um, but in particular, check out the Jeff Wagner Show uh, podcast. If you can't listen to the whole program, it, it is up there. 
you missed some of the discussions, like uh, we start off every program today with our, our three big things. I didn't tell you this, Hondo. It was I, I got one of I got one of the genuinely stupid emails again this morning. It's it, it always starts out, and there, there's a handful of people who are. It doesn't matter. They just don't agree with me, and so and that that's fine. But the emails always start off. I'm never listening to you again, and then like a week later, you get the same email. I'm never listening to you again. But but this one, one of the things we started off with our our three big things was the. The day without Latinos, the big march that, that was out there yesterday, and I was using this as a launching point of saying, okay, this is really what, what these people really want is is open borders. Don't enforce the the borders. Don't enforce immigration laws. Do we really want to do it? That was my premise. But anyhow, one of the comments I made was that that these immigration advocates had bust people in from all over the state to know to prop up the numbers to get on TV. So I get this thing, I'm never listening to you again, but I happen to have it on, and, and you said that. That's, you're just lying. And so I, of course, like forwarded the two stories. That, no, this is no secret. People were bussing people in from all over the state for the, this march. And interestingly, it didn't hear back. <laughs> but it's uh, check it out. It's all up on the podcast page. Also, every morning we, we do the three big things to start off the program, and we post that so you can get a head start on it. All right. We have we hear so many stories about local businesses that are closing or local businesses that are struggling that every once in a while when you get when you get a success story, I think it's worth mentioning. And there are some businesses where well are very, very competitive. The restaurant business, very, very competitive. I mean I, I just take my you know, hat off to anybody who's been able to run a successful restaurant for a number of years. Very, very competitive. One of the other businesses that is very, very competitive is, is the grocery market. It is profit margins are low. There's lots of different grocery stores that are out there. So you're competing um, on, on these different types of, of things. And again, you're, you're dealing also with the like economies of scale. By that, I mean if you're part of some big national chain, you generally have buying power, so you can buy stuff in bulk, and, and you can buy it cheaper, and that means that you can sell it cheaper than, say, like the mom-and-pop grocery store, which is why mom-and-pop grocery stores have to you know, figure out ways to compete. I mean, there are local drugstores, for example, that are able to compete with the, the Walgreens or the CVSs of the world, but they, they have to adapt because they're not going to be able to sell stuff necessarily as cheaply as some of these other places can. But they can adapt. Well, anyway, here is one of the, the success stories. And, I, I, I mean, I think about all the different grocery stores that have come and gone over the course of the last 30 or 40 years. I mean, the different grocery chains that moved in and, and left. And one of the success stories is this local business. It, it's Sendix. And I, I just... I, I was looking at this story that actually we had up on our website. Okay, Sendex, which is you know a local local food chain here, announced plans that it's going to be hiring 500 more local people in 2017 as the company continues to expand with five additional stores opening this year. That will bring the Sendex local workforce to over 2,300 people. And then, in an effort to retain employees, the company is going to be offering signing bonuses if you you work in certain positions and you're there 
four months. And, you know, uh, Ted Balistrieri, who's the one of the co-owner, says, hey, you know, we're you know, we're we're expanding and we need these people and we're willing to pay top dollar to do it. Uh, the new locations include two fresh to go locations in Greendale and Hales Corners, stores in Brookfield, Muskego and and Waukesha. But this is one of these local companies in a very, very competitive industry. And the Lord knows groceries, you know, food shopping is, is one of those industries that is growing and succeeding. And I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620 and 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. What are places like Sendex doing right? It doesn't necessarily even have to be a conversation about Sendex particular. But here you have local chains or local stores that are competing against the national chains. And they're growing they're not only surviving, but they're growing. They are expanding. And I think there's a lesson in this for a lot of businesses as to, you know, what is it that consumers really want? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Why, why is a place like Sendex or, you know, other local businesses, why are they able to succeed and grow in very, very competitive markets. And what lessons can we learn? 414-799-1620. You know, what's, what is it about Sendex, for example, that, that you like? And I mean, you can shop at Sendex, you can shop at other places as well. But what is it about these local chains that are allowing them to succeed in the face of intense competition? We discuss next. It's 1143. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ Honda is producing a show. This says everything. Okay, last night was the season finale for the new Celebrity Apprentice with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Did you know that? You did not. I didn't know it either because I didn't watch, you didn't watch, and most people didn't watch. The Celebrity Apprentice finale, dead last, <laughs> dead last among the big four broadcasters. Um, just, I mean, nobody, nobody watched it all. But part of the reason... Okay. Okay. Part of the reason, apparently, in the finale. Okay. Now, this is the Celebrity Apprentice. The last two people standing were Boy George, who you haven't heard of since the 1980s, and Matt Eisman, I S E M A N. Do you even know who that is? Okay. Only because of a fill-in I've had. Otherwise, you would have no idea. I have no idea who Matt Eisman. I had to, honest to goodness. Put in Wikipedia. I have no idea who. This is the guy that won the Celebrity Apprentice, and he's stand-up comedian. Um, I don't know. Was with the Groundlings, performed at USO shows, right? And you know, okay, like American Ninja Warrior. Whatever. I've never. I swear to God, I've never heard of this guy. This was the Celebrity Apprentice, and you wonder why nobody's watching the, the show now. Maybe, maybe again, you and I are living in caves, but but I, no, I digress. In any event. Um, Sendex announced yesterday they are expanding. They've got five new stores that are going to be opening in 2017. They need to hire 500 more people. Um, their workforce is now going to be up to somewhere north of 2,300. It's a great place to work. And I'm just intrigued by local companies that are able to succeed in a very, very difficult environment. And, and what's their secret? Dick and Whitefish Bay. Dick, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Do you know who Matt Iceman is? Have no clue. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, okay. So it's you and me and my producer. We're all in the same cave. Okay, got it. Okay, thanks. All right. 
so in any event, what 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 is it? How do local businesses succeed in the face of all this intense competition? Well, first, I really am happy that Fendix is expanding. I love Fendix. We shop there. Uh, and it's all about quality. It's all about they know you as a customer. They they give you an honest thing for the buck. And, right. you know, and there it's about service. It's neighborhood knowledge. Uh, if you want to call the city of Milwaukee a neighborhood, it mm-hmm. certainly is. But my family's been in business for five generations in Milwaukee. Started in 1901, and they faced some very stiff competition from national chains. So I uh, just want... I just want you to know that uh, they succeeded because great-grandpa and great-grandma gave them the quality all the time. And, and what was, what's, what's the nature of your family business, Dick? Florists. Florists. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm, which is another incredibly competitive industry now, I, I would imagine, with all the different right. things. But, but it's like service and it's that attention to detail that you think makes the difference. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, that's how five generations survived. And uh, it was the old ethic of being, being appreciative of your yeah. customer. Yeah, no, and thanks for calling. That. That, that's a great story. I mean, I, I think, look, I, I have in the community where I live, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, there's several within three miles of my house. There, there's big chain drugstores and there's a local drugstore. And, and I, you know, for prescriptions and stuff, I use the local drugstore. And I acknowledge that when I go in there and sometimes I'm going to buy, if I buy aspirin or Tylenol or whatever, I acknowledge I'm probably paying a little bit more for it than I do if I was at, again, the, the chain drugstore. But I like to support the local drugstore where they, they know who you are. And they were actually, you know, over the last year and a half where I unfortunately had to spend a lot more time, you know, getting prescriptions and things like that. They were very attentive. It's it just, I like to support the local, the local businesses. And I'm not knocking the chains, but I love it when these local businesses are able to figure out a way to succeed. Jeff in Watertown. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Jeff, oh, lost Jeff. Let's try uh, John in Franklin. John, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, we shop, uh, I'm 77 years old. We shop at uh, Phoenix out on 51st and Ross. And two things that their quality of their meats are just outstanding. Right. And it, they'll make whatever cuts you ask for. And they have a Geiger wine department that's unbelievably knowledgeable about wine. So they mm-hmm. always have some sales. But the third thing is that we can call them up and they'll deliver it to the house for, I think, a $10 charge. Right. And I think that their service is just outstanding, and that's why I think they're beating the second phase and everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think service. I mean, think, see, I, I think that that I think is part of the key. There, there, are, there are some people, and this is—it's not a criticism; it's just a comment. There are some people for whom you know price price is the be all end all, and and I I appreciate that. Um, but for a lot of people, it's the idea that okay, if you go into the store. There's always go- this is one of my pet peeves that there's always going to be checkers at the different checkout lines so that there's not there I'm not going to name names but there's a I shop at Sendex but I also for certain things for like sundries and stuff I actually there's another store I go to and again I'm not going to name names it doesn't matter but it doesn't matter what time of the day or night I walk in there, there there's always there's always long lines because even though there's ten checkout aisles there's only two checkers. And so you just you just kind of know that. Whereas, for example, in Sendex, my experience has been even if there's lines, they move them along because you've you've got a lot of checkout lines. It's things it's things like that that I think attack again the, the customer service. And again, you know, quality is always certainly an issue as well. But my belief has always been that while price price is important, and you have to be 
competitive when it comes to price. As a general rule, people are willing to pay for value. And by value, I mean the service, convenience. You roll it all in the package. And, okay, if, if I'm going to have a better experience. Or hardware stores are a classic example of that. I mean, I, there's, a, there's a local hardware store that, that I go to, and there's always three or four guys Men or I'm going to say by ladies and gentlemen, men and women, they do work there that are in the hardware store. You walk in with some obscure thing like I had the other day and, and they're able to direct you right where it is. OK, I know when I go to that hardware store and I'm buying stuff, I'm paying a little bit more than if I went to like the big box retailer. But at the same time, it's worth it because I can show somebody this. They're going to take me right where I need to be. They're going to show me what the piece is. They're going to explain to me how I put it in. As opposed to, again, no knock, but some of the big hardware stores where you walk in, it's some high school kid who knows even less about all the stuff they have than I have. And, and yeah, than, than I do, which is, since I, generally speaking, know nothing about these type of things, which is saying a lot. But, I mean, I'm willing to pay for that service. And that's, I think, the key. Local businesses will always thrive and survive as long as they are willing to do that. It's 1153. We'll find out what it's Eric Bilstadt and Tracy Johnson today for WTMJ Today. Stick around. It's 11.57, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eric Bilstadt, Tracy Johnson, WTMJ Today. Hello. Hello. What do you got coming up? Holy cow, this Michael Flynn resignation. This is juicy. There is layer after layer after layer. It is an layer. onion. You are peeling it oh back. Oh, my huh? goodness. So, yeah, so he resigned last night, as we know, the National Security Advisor. Sean Spicer is expected to address the press corps here momentarily, so we're going to dip into that news conference. The Democrats want an investigation yeah. now. Yeah. There are so many layers to this thing. This guy... Clearly, there something should have been done a long time ago. That's the that's the unfortunate part well, about it. See, my this. take is that this is another example of the cover up is worse than than the act. I right. mean, I understand some people say that you know meeting with the Russian ambassador might have been a violation of the Logan Act. That's never been prosecuted. That's not the case. But 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 if he did discuss sanctions moving mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. You should have just, and you tell Pence that, the vice president that, right. and then, then you move on. Yeah. So here the VP goes and he lies to the nation on CBS because he didn't know. He, he did what he was told. And then they find out they were warned. The White House was warned about this. Because the FBI the was, inter- the yeah. White House was intercepting the, the they apparently bug the, mm-hmm. the, the, the Russian ambassador's phone calls. My no, it's, gosh. it's, uh, it's, it's, but I mean, again, this was, to me, it's again, it's the cover up. I mean, because if, if, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong. With him, some people might disagree, but I don't think so. With him talking about, you know, in advance, this is what might happen in the future. Generally, that will happen, right? Before an inauguration, the new administration folks will chat with the ambassadors and whatnot. Yeah. Whether or not they were discussing sanctions, probably shouldn't have been doing that. Well, I mean, right, there's a law that says that private citizens can't negotiate with foreign powers, but... But, like I said, it's never been it's, prosecuted. Yeah, okay. So what else you got coming so up? So there's that. And then, of course, Brendan Dassey had his day in court today. What right. was said in Chicago? We're not going to learn anything uh, from this case today. I mean, it's not, they're not going to make an announcement today on what happens and whether or not his case is going to get thrown uh, unless out. They are, un- unless, unless the court is convinced that there is an outrage and an innocent person is sitting behind bars, in which case they could come out with an order relatively soon. Go that quickly, huh? If they think that. Yeah, um, the longer it goes, the more likely I think it is that they're going to over, that my mm-hmm. guess would be the longer it is, the more likely it is that they're going to overrule the magistrate judge's decision. So plenty on Dassey as well, and it's Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day. 
And happy Valentine's Day to you as well, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I am out of time. Um, I will be back 8.30 tomorrow morning when we do this all again. Stick around. WTMJ Today is coming up. It's 11.59. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.